know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Wonderful to see you. Nice to see you, J. Keith. Helen, I understand that you have an update from something we talked about on a previous episode where you talked about this uh, ritual that is in Korean culture where I guess a kid has to choose their career at one year old. Correct. Yes. At uh, one, The first birthday for a Korean baby is a very big deal and a very large party is thrown for them. The immediate family of the baby wears traditional Korean dress called oh, wow. hanbok and mm-hmm. um, our baby was dressed like a little Korean emperor. <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. No pressure. Nope. Mm-hmm. Various items are laid out in front of the baby, and Mm -hmm. whichever item the baby chooses determines the future career of the baby. (laughs) Wow. So being Korean, traditionally, there's a stethoscope to signify a medical doctor. (laughs) Of Of course. course, A gavel, I'm guessing. A uh, a tiny gavel, which is true. That is very traditional. Uh, We, my sister and I, went rogue. And replaced the gavel with a little toy astronaut because we would rather our baby launch himself into space than actually become a lawyer. (laughs) You're that tired of him already, (laughs) huh? Then become a lawyer. No offense to the lawyers out there, but I actually have met very few few lawyers who love lawyering. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, I think most lawyers would rather be astronauts if given yeah. the option. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, the suspense is killing me. What did uh, Baby Hong choose? Baby Hong chose a toy basketball, which means that they will be a pro athlete. Wow. Our, our baby's going to be a baller. Nice. <laughs> and is Baby Hong tall? Baby Hong is tall oh, okay. for, for a one-year-old. Baby Hong, uh, as I don't know if I've mentioned before, Baby Hong is a sperm donor baby. Ah, and uh, Baby Hong's donor dad is six foot four. Okay, so, look out, NBA. Baby hello. Hong's coming. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a writer, reporter, and radio producer who most recently was host of the Experiment podcast, and he'll be hosting a reboot of WNYC studio show, More Perfect. It's Julia Longoria. Hello, Julia Longoria. Hello. It's so nice to be here. Though I have to say, I am completely out of my element being a guest on a show. I'm so (laughs) nervous, but I'm very, very happy to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. I promise it's going to be a good time. Well, you're definitely in your element being uh, on an audio medium, because in addition to the shows that Helen mentioned, you've done audio work for The New York Times. People have heard you on Radio Lab, Planet Money. I found out in an interview that uh, you've been interested in audio journalism specifically for a long time. You were really into public radio as a kid. I was, yeah. I worked for my NPR member station in my hometown of Miami, WLRN, and I did a little story for them back in the day. So I've been a nerd for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> it comes naturally. Yeah. <laughs> well, the experiment which you hosted, uh, it's described as what happens when individual people confront deeply held American ideals in their own lives. It's really fascinating. You've covered everything from abortion to national parks to Judge Judy. And earlier this year, you did a multi-part miniseries that speaks to one of my longtime interests, which is Spam. No, Spam the Canned Meat. Spam the Canned Meat. Yep. It's called oh my gosh. How the American Dream Got Canned. <laughs> that is, you know, I'm obsessed with Spam because I'm Korean American. And yes. Yeah, South Korea, like, is one of the biggest consumers of Spam in the world. Yes, in the Spam Museum, which I went to in Austin, Minnesota, they have a whole section in the museum dedicated to Korea. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Korea deserves a place in the Spam Museum. And speaking of the Spam Museum, I am drinking my Theraflu from the Spam mug that Incredible. I got from the Spam Museum what? in Austin, Minnesota. You went. Incredible. Yeah, I have my Amazing. own Spam mug I did. here, too. So. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. I've never actually eaten Spam, but I was really into it as like sort of a goofy thing, especially in high school. And I ended up writing my senior history thesis on Spam and its uh, its role in American what? history. So, no uh, yeah. way. I was sort of a young Julia Longoria. Uh, <laughs> 
no, no. So yeah, so so the, the the nerd comes natural to me as well. Can you tell us a little bit how spam does tell the story of America and maybe something that you learned that might surprise even a, a longtime spam nerd like me? I came to think of spam as sort of like the Forrest Gump of American history. <laughs> like it was there in uh, you know World War II. It was tossed <laughs> off the trucks of American GIs to young Filipinos apparently in the Pacific Theater of the War during uh, the 80s when there were strikes breaking out all across the country, labor strikes. One of the most bitterly fought longest strikes in American history happened at the factory that makes Spam in Austin, Minnesota. Yeah. (laughs) So we kind of tell three different chapters of Spam's history that intersected in a big way with American ideals and American politics. It was so much fun. Did you know that in Korea, even to this day, you can go to a fancy department store and they can sell you a spam gift package? Like a <laughs> fancy box? Yes, yes, they had it in the museum. It's like black label, like yes! spam. Yes. Like bougie spam. Yeah. You can buy it as a gift, like a housewarming present. Incredible. It's, it's incredible. really amazing. The gift it's that really- lasts forever. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about is the uh, podcast More Perfect that uh, started as a spinoff to a radio lab, and it focuses on the Supreme Court. Gee, I hope you have something to talk about for this next season. I know, so irrelevant. <laughs> Helen mentioned that you'll be doing a reboot. How will the reboot of the show be different than what people have heard before? We're still kind of writing it as we go here, but we're hoping that it will be personal, more on the human level. And Mm. like every season uh, kind of almost loosely focuses on a new topic. And I think it's likely that we are going to focus on, you know, how I feel like in American history, the Supreme Court is like this sacred institution. And uh, we're going through a time where it feels like politics are really sullying the court. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So kind of um, exploring where the court is right now and how we got here. Well, on a perhaps more fun note, one of the things you got to do uh, for the last season is you helped produce a music album that was about all 27 amendments, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> if people wanted to, to start with one, what do you think is the, the amendment song that really captured the amendment best? Our second amendment song, an all-female mariachi band called what? Flor de Toloache did second amendment, and they do all this wordplay in Spanglish. It's like oh, so wow. badass. It's such a good time. So it's like, it's not like schoolhouse rock for kids. It's like, it's like grown-up music yes, yeah. tackling the amendments. The amendment is like the the muse. Rather, you're mm. not, they're not, you know, asked to explain the amendment necessarily. Got it. Yeah. Very it's cool. Well, we're so happy that you joined us and that you're here with us. Julia Longoria. Helen, against whom will Julia be competing? He is an award-winning actor whose extensive work on Broadway, TV, and movies includes memorable roles in The Producers, Mad About You, and A Serious Man. It's Richard Kind! Hi, Richard Kind! Uh, Julia, I understand how nervous you are. But weekly, (laughs) you get to go on and have a podcast to show how smart you are. Absolutely. There are so many places I can prove how dumb I am. Why am I doing this? Why am I leaving myself out in the open like this? You have podcasts about the Supreme Court? I bring in voiceovers for Disney cartoons. (laughs) Richard, in addition to the credits that Helen mentioned, people, of course, will know you from TV, like Spin City, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and the wonderful Red Oaks, movies like Argo and Inside Out, and on Broadway in shows like Kiss Me, Kate, and The Big Knife, for which you received a Tony nomination. You've done so many roles over the year. You once called yourself the Costco of acting. Uh, What what did you mean by that? Costco comes in great quantity. Mm Mm-hmm. And it always comes cheap. <laughs> That's what I do. You just got a lot of me. You don't buy the big old 60-inch TV. You mm-hmm. get a little uh, video player like this. <laughs> I am very inexpensive. <laughs> very nice. Richard, you, you were part of why I was nervous. Because when I found out it was you, I was like, <gasps> it's Richard Kind. Like I, And you live somewhere deep in my subconscious. Because I looked, you were on Even Stevens <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> I was. Um, anyway, so yeah. let me tell you something. Did you watch Even Stevens in your childhood? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm sorry to make you feel old. <laughs> yes, I did that in my adulthood. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. May I have as long and storied a career as you, Richard? Seriously. You wanted to know something? You are correct. I have I, storied, I don't know, but long is good. 
<laughs> in this particular instance. And I hope to continue it being longer because that golf and my children sustained me. Oh. <laughs> you went to Northwestern University, which, of course, has a wonderful theater department. But you didn't go there to study acting. Tell us about that and how you got into it. I always wanted to be an actor. But, hey, I know people wanted to be a rock star. So I expected to go to Northwestern to become a lawyer and then to go to business school. Mm -hmm. And acting was my extracurricular activity. Little did I know that my life would be an extracurricular activity. Mm -hmm. How I got into acting was my dad's best friend said, when you're 40, you're going to regret not giving it a shot. Mm. You'll mm. let your, your wife, you'll resent your kids, you'll resent your life. So he said, go try it. I had talent. I, it ended up this way. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you mentioned you were a little nervous about being subjected to trivia, but this is not your first time being on a quiz show. You actually were on Celebrity Jeopardy, and uh, you did quite well. Yes, I did. Yes, okay. <laughs> tell us tell us about what that experience was like. I was, I think, $200 shy of doubling the next contestant. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Michael McKeon, who is much smarter than me. <laughs> the... Final Jeopardy question. I bet double, and the category was sports. Yikes. Mm. <laughs> my nightmare come true. And the question I can give you, the sounds of the question, uh, it, it wasn't Thor Heyerdahl, but it was some sort of Swedish name. Mm -hmm. But let's say it's Thor Heyerdahl. It's the only Swedish athlete to ever win this event. Mm -hmm. Who knew that? Michael McKeon, I think, knew it. And I why? Because he was going out with a woman who liked a bicycle. What? I swear to God. That's how he knew. Well, Michael knows things. Okay. Wow. Well, cool. the good news is you're over it. And uh, oh, you... oh, no, no. I'm so not over it. All right, Julia, the pressure's on. The pressure's on Julia because if she wins today, you know that Richard That's will not it. forget it. I know. I quit. Now I'm going to tell you something even weirder. Okay. Uh, my phone is on airplane mode. Mm -hmm. My iPad is turned off. Mm -hmm. But I get in the corner of my my, my laptop the messages on my thread, and I am on a thread that Michael McKeon is on. Within the past 90 seconds, yeah. a text came in from Michael McKeon. Wow. Because we all have nothing to do during our day. <laughs> Did he say, Tour de France, Tour de France? Oh, he opens up every entry to the thread with Tour de France. Never took time, Tour de France. Anyway, my whatever. Excellent. We hope we provide you with just, if not more, pleasant memories from today's experience. We're so happy to have you. Richard Kind, thanks for being here. Julia and Richard, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Julia, you said you know a lot about the TV show Monk, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal life, and outsider missteps in Miami. Whereas, Richard, you said you know a lot about The Dick Van Dyke Show, Michael Connolly books, and Second City. Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, friendship. First up is Julia with friend. Julia, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. All right, play it. Hi, Jay Keith, Helen, and guests. This is Kevin Elias from Brookline, Massachusetts. My question for What's the Difference is while they both indicate a friendly relationship, What's the difference between amicable and amiable? Thanks so much. Love the show. Oh, all right. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right, Julia, you heard Kevin. What is the difference between amicable and amiable or amiable? I want to say am amicable implies that uh, there was some beef before, <laughs> mm. maybe. Uh, okay. Amicable, you're okay, but not not amazing. And I okay. would say <laughs> amiable. <laughs> I think amiable um, is probably... Uh, implies a, a closer relationship than amicable. 
Uh, it's closer than amicable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, we've got Julie's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. Richard, if you don't think she got it exactly right, you can steal. What do you think, Richard? I, I have to recuse myself because Kevin Elias is a dear friend of mine. Oh, me. wow. What an amazing, <laughs> remarkable coincidence. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not only that, I believe that Julie is incorrect. Oh. Uh, amicable is when two people get along. They are in concert with each other. They are um, in tune with each other as friends. Okay. Amiable is a jaunty and loving personality at the time. You are a, a jolly mm. or friendly um, friendly person. All right. Well, this segment needs to be put into the friend zone. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. Amicable is used to describe pleasant interactions or situations, like an amicable relationship. Amiable is used to describe pleasant people or things, there you go. like an amiable done. fellow with an amiable dog. Uh, that's right. For instance, because she was not very amiable, the breakup with my ex was not very amicable. And because of that, I'm not mentioning any specific ex in case she might like to sue. Helen, how did our guest do? Julia, I don't think you got either one of those right. Uh, Richard, I actually think you got two points, Richard. Yeah. Two points for Richard. Two points for Richard. Very, very nice. Well, up next in Friendship is Richard with ship. Richard, when it comes to a ship, what's the difference between aboard and onboard? Aboard and onboard. And to be clear, while both of those could be written as two words, aboard and onboard, we're asking for the difference between the single words aboard and onboard and specifically referring to a ship. I believe that aboard mm -hmm. is a call to enter a ship mm -hmm. on board means you have already placed yourself on the ship itself. Okay, we've got Richard's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Julia, what do you think? On board refers to, it's sort of like uh, an adjective uh, okay. describing things or people who are on the ship. Okay. <laughs> then aboard is more like a directional, like all aboard. Um, got it. Rather than an adjective. <laughs> okay. Well, this segment is making our listeners bored. Let's go yeah. to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. <laughs> Here are the facts. Aboard describes a person or thing, but usually a person who is on a ship temporarily. It could be for a long time, like on a round-the-world voyage, but they are still expected to eventually leave the ship. On board describes a person or thing, but usually a thing that is on a ship permanently, like the onboard water slide, onboard doctor, or onboard Wi-Fi, which is always a total ripoff. Uh, that's right. Now, onboard as two words actually means the same thing as the single word aboard, whereas onboard as a single word can be used as a verb. For instance, human resources will onboard new hires, acclimating them to be permanent fixtures in the company. Everyone on board? Helen, how did our guest do? Uh, Richard, you definitely got one point for uh, on board saying on the ship already. So I'll give you one point for that. I'm going to take it. I don't pay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> and what is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Julia Longoria has zero points and Richard Kind has three points. All right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hal Loveland here with breaking news on a revolutionary form of entertainment, professional wrestling. For more, we go to our correspondent, Danielle Radford. Professional wrestling is the craze that's sweeping the nation, featuring fisticuffs and colorful costumes. But who can help us make sense of this world of body slams? Lindsay Kelk has the answer. Sources tell us of an amazing podcast called Tights and Fights, filled with discussions of the absurdity of professional wrestling, plus all the sincerity and hilarity that you could shake a stick at. Listen to the Tights and Fights podcast every week. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And your old-timey radio. Meat, meat, I like meat. Hey, you know who knows that I like meat? It's my fiance Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Honey, do I like meat? Very much. And where do I like to get good meat? From ButcherBox. That's right. No matter what kind of food you want to grill during the summer, whether it's chicken, beef, 
pork or even that fish and seafood stuff that you like. Yes, I love it. You can get it at ButcherBox. Add some power players to your grilling lineup with ButcherBox. That's a sports metaphor. Hey, it's a subscription (laughs) service that delivers high-quality meat and seafood right to your doorstep. We actually had some ButcherBox delivered when we were visiting your parents in Colorado, and they had so much meat that even though we were there for over a week, we could not finish it all, and boy, did we want to. So, honey, what did you do with that extra meat? We wrapped it all up, put it on dry ice, and I was like, I'm taking this home. But then I got delayed, and so I had to gift it to somebody, and boy, were they excited. And there was so much, and that was only maybe a quarter of what we got. You get so much meat, but not only is it a quantity, but it's quality. Every month, ButcherBox ships you a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen for your convenience, so you can save time on your next grocery store trip. You can customize your own box or go with one of theirs. Either way, you get exactly what you want. Get summer sizzling started with this special butcher box deal for our listeners free bacon for life the life of your membership plus ten dollars off sign up today at butcherbox.com gofact and use code gofact to get one pack of free bacon in every box for the life of your membership plus ten dollars off your first order that's butcherbox.com gofact and use code gofact to claim this deal Thank you, Butcher Box. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Julia Longoria and Richard Kind. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Julia, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the TV show Monk, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal life, and outsider missteps in Miami. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the TV show Monk means to you. Monk was one of my favorite shows growing up. It's a show about an obsessive-compulsive detective. And yeah, as a little kid who was like, I like put myself in time out. Like I was like (laughs) a real nervous kid, very Mm -hmm. shy. I I think I might have identified with Monk. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard of a kid being obsessed with Monk. Yeah. The show seems like a very adult kind of And I love that that OCE stands for Obsessive Compulsive Detective. (laughs) It can also be that as well. All right, next, Julia said you know a lot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal life. I did a story about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of her cases that she did when she was a young lawyer. She was trying to you know, convince an all-male Supreme Court that sex discrimination is bad and we should ban it. And so she got a little creative and found cases where men were the ones being discriminated against. And so there was a case, Craig versus Boren, in Oklahoma, where men had to wait till they were 21 to drink beer, but women could drink it at 18. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, a real lady, I, I think that was ladies' night v. beer in that case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And for the story, I just basically listened to everything that C-SPAN has on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> wow. Um, so I got a lot of talks about her husband and her, you know, her kids and just how she decided to call it gender discrimination instead of sex discrimination because hmm. sex was a little too racy. Anyway, yeah. lots of <laughs> lots of trivia there. <laughs> All right. And then finally, Julie, you said you know a lot about outsider missteps in Miami. Tell us what that means and what that <laughs> means to you. Miami is just so bizarre and really a different planet from the rest of the country. So I just have so much fun when people come in to Miami and say something totally faux pas. Like, do you want an example? Yes, (laughs) please. Yeah. Um, Mitt Romney was campaigning for presidency in, um, in Miami, and he went to this, you know, institution in Miami called El Gran Palacio de los Jugos, which is the Grand Palace of Juices. And he gave a speech and he lifted up a papaya and said, I love the papaya. And papaya, of course, is uh, slang for vagina in Cubism. <laughs> oh, my God. Did everybody die? Yes. Everybody yeah. must have been dying. Well, it's fine. Maybe Mitt Romney knew exactly what yeah, he right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Julia. So to summarize, you said you know a lot about the TV show Monk, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal life, and outsider missteps in Miami. Today, we want to quiz you about the TV show Monk. All right. All right. Do you have any favorite episodes or moments? 
from the show to stick with you? I always remember the final episode. There's this mystery about his wife and you kind of Mm -hmm. like see him finally come to terms and he finally gets closure about something he hadn't for a long time. So that's always lovely. (laughs) Lovely. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Richard, do listen closely because if Julia answers incorrectly, you can steal. Richard, by the way, how much do you know about the TV show Monk? I have never watched the show. (laughs) (laughs) However, I'm very good friends with its star, and I was offered a role about, I think, about two or three times to be on the show, and it never worked out. Wow. And, And I understand it's great. But he happens to be a very good friend, a dear friend. And the same year I was nominated for Tony, he was nominated for Tony. Neither of us won. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right, Julia, let's see if you let Richard in for a chance to uh, name drop any further. Here is question number one. <laughs> Julia, Adrian Monk is a brilliant detective living with a mental illness that compels him to, say, touch every parking meter he passes or brush his teeth in exactly 40 strokes. What is the name of this condition? Obsessive compulsive disorder. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, yes. That one we happened to mention as we were talking about the show earlier. Well, fun fact, according to the internet, National OCD Foundation, between two and three million people in the U.S. currently have OCD. If you or someone you know is suffering from OCD, you can find resources at their website at iocdf.org. Here's question number two. Monk was nominated for 18 Emmy Awards and won eight, including two for what musician who also won Oscars and Grammys for his songs from Pixar movies? Randy Newman. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, despite winning an Emmy for the original opening theme by Jeff Beale, producers changed the music to the song by Randy Newman, which then won another Emmy. In one episode, Randy Newman's opening theme is performed by Snoop Dogg. An incredible episode. An incredible <laughs> episode. I feel like I'm going to need to look that up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty outstanding. All right, you're two for two, Julie. Here's question number three. In its eight seasons on the air, Monk aired 125 episodes, and all of those episodes' titles included what two words? Monk is? Helen, is it Monk? Wait, can I take the hint for this one? You can, Helen. How about that first hint? It wasn't Mrs. Monk. Mr. Monk. (laughs) Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good use of the hint. Fun fact, some memorable titles include Mr. Monk and the Naked Man, Mr. Monk and the Man Who Shot Santa Claus, and Mr. Monk and the Really, Really Dead Guy. All right, Julie, you're three for three. Here's question number four. Mr. Monk claims to have over 300 phobias and keeps a consistent ranking of his top 11. Number one, of course, is germs, but which of the following is not one of the other 10? Is it snakes, dentists, needles, public speaking, or milk? I mean, milk definitely is. Okay. (laughs) I think public speaking definitely is. Okay. And let's go with um, snakes. Helen, is it snakes? It is not snakes. No, I'm terribly sorry. (laughs) Richard Kind with a chance to steal. I'm going to say public speaking. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, Richard Kind, with a successful steal. I thought you said you never saw the show. I continue with that. (laughs) (laughs) Why why were you so confident about it then? I was split between milk and Mm -hmm. public speaking. The man's a policeman who goes out and talks to people. Oh, Mm. interesting deduction. He has to address the people at his police station. Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't stop him from being afraid. But Yeah, yeah. that's true. Good. All right, well, very good, Richard. <laughs> Fun fact, others in Monk's top 11 phobias include elevators, heights, mushrooms, and death. Some of those not very unreasonable fears as well. All right, let's see if we can bounce back with question number five, Julia. You do still have a hint available. Tony Shalhoub, Richard's very, very good friend, <laughs> won three Emmy Awards for playing Adrian Monk, but the role was not originally meant for him. What actor, who also won three Emmy Awards for playing an iconic character, was originally intended to play Monk, but passed? But passed, like he didn't pass away. He like passed. No, 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 no. But, but, I should say, okay. but passed on the opportunity. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> That's the voice of an editor right there. <laughs> Um, I'm going to take the hint for this one. Helen, how about that second hint? He won three Emmys for his work on Seinfeld. 
George Costanza's character. Helen, was it George Costanza's character? It was not. No, I'm terribly sorry. Richard with a chance to steal. Jason Alexander didn't because Jason Alexander tragically, and I mean this if he's listening, never won an Emmy for it, but Michael Richards did. Helen, is it Michael Richards? It is Michael Richards. Wow. Two wow. successful steals for Richard Kind. Richard, Congra- all of this name dropping is helping you out <laughs> with the game. This is my like Achilles heel, like na- the names. names of actors. And and I, look who you got against me. I was like, I was doomed you, from the start. Me, let me tell you something. <laughs> what? As you get older, I'm telling you, the friends who you know, you cannot remember their names. <laughs> well, on that optimistic note, let me give this fun fact. Monk was developed as a Michael Richards project for ABC. Once he passed on the project, not passed away, uh, <laughs> ABC dropped the project and it went to USA. Coincidentally, just as Michael Richards had been considered for the role of Monk, Tony Shalhoub had been considered for the role of Kramer on Seinfeld. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Now, Julia, here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Julia, on December 4, 2009, USA aired the series finale of Monk, which we discussed earlier. It was the highest rated episode of the show's eight season run and Basic Cable's most watched drama episode ever. And viewers learned about some big changes for some main characters. For instance, it's revealed that the character played by Jason Gray Stanford moves to the Northeast to be with Sharona and takes a new job in a small town. For up to three points, what is this new job? To what Northeast state does he move? And who is this character played by Jason Gray Stanford? It's New Jersey. It's, um, oh. See names. <laughs> I know names. Well, if you want to do the job, it's you can the, do the job yeah, first. Yeah, it's the um, it's it's second in command. Um, okay. The job is, I think, the head of police or the chief of police. Yeah. Chief of police. Okay. And then uh, you want to take a stab at that character's name? I know who it is, but I yeah. just can't. I can't remember his name right now. Um, okay. Do you what mind if you? I look it up? <laughs> I do mind. I think I, yeah. I think I do mind if you look it up. In fact, but, but I appreciate your I appreciate your asking. All right. Well, uh, no answer there, but Helen is taking note of your other answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell this for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor and podcaster who, among his other work, starred for eight seasons on Monk. It's Jason Gray Stanford. No. <laughs> no. I forgot. No, no, no. Hello, Jason Gray Stanford. Hi, guys. How are you? Oh, poor Julia is like writhing in pain. God, and I was nervous. And then this is like. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Jason Gray Stanford. It's my pleasure, guys. Well, of course, in addition to Monk, people will know you from your work on television, like in Gray's Anatomy and Justified, movies like Flags of Our Fathers and A Beautiful Mind. And you've also done a lot of voice acting work, everyone from Donatello the Ninja Turtle to Sherlock Holmes to Raditz and Dragon Ball Z, a very prolific career. What you're um, Donatello? On one, one, one of them, yes. I think yes. there's many. <laughs> You've been lending your voice to the American Heart Association. Tell us why that's an important cause to you. A year and a half ago, I had a heart transplant. <gasps> In 2018, I was diagnosed out of left field with uh, heart failure. You mm-hmm. know, over the past three or four years, I've been dealing with that. You have you have formerly someone else's heart inside your chest right now. I absolutely do. <gasps> Uh, it is a miracle of science. Whoa. Unbelievable. Crazy. What an amazing journey you went through. You've talked about it in, in interviews uh, recently. Um, and how are you doing? Are you, you, you're as good as new? That's a great way to put it. I am back to my kind of old self. I have, uh, you know, I'm feeling great. I have been very fortunate to make a full recovery. Living life, uh, you know, to the fullest. Wow, That's you so look, you look very well. I thank yeah. you very much. I'll be heading yeah. to the gym right after we're done. We're right after <laughs> no! Another event that you're involved in that uh, helps to further this cause are the transplant games. Uh, tell us about that, and you're going to be the grand marshal, I understand. I've always been an avid sports person. I, I love working out. I love exercising. Unlike Richard, I do. I know a lot about sports, Richard. You know, <laughs> I, I would have I nailed, uh, nailed that category with Michael McKeon. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. It's July 31st to August 3rd in San Diego, California this year. It's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting some wonderful, wonderful people. Helen mentioned in your introduction that you are a, a podcaster as well. What is your podcast about? It's called the Randy Disher Podcast. And actually, you know what? It's basically... 
in fact, got a, a cool little bit of info here. I actually started it when I was recovering from my heart transplant oh, really? because mm. I was going bonkers. And throughout the pandemic, Muck kind of had a, a resurgence on streaming. And so I started it then. And it was really just kind of my love letter. And thank you back to all the fans for sticking with us for so many years and continuing to stick with us. Even now, Julia, it's fantastic that you're a, <laughs> a fan, a fan of the show. Richard, not so much. Let's <laughs> go have a drink and talk about sports and Muck. <laughs> One of the things that you do on the show that is so cool is you actually surprise some of your fans by calling them and recording those conversations. What's that been like for you? It's one thing to interview, you know, your peers and colleagues and have them come mm -hmm. on and kind of talk shop. But there's something really special about connecting with the fans themselves and just kind of hearing what they loved about the show or what they loved about Tony or, or Ted Levine or Trailer mm -hmm. Howard or any, anyone. It's a great laugh. And I mean, listen, without those great fans, we wouldn't have been around so long. The podcast ended its first season last fall. Uh, what can you tell us about maybe a uh, second season? I'll tell you this. Mm -hmm. Can't give away too many details, but the monk fans around the world might be in for uh, some uh, good news. Piggybacking on that, you know, season two is in the works right now, and uh, we look forward to having it to you soon. Excellent. Let's talk about your work on the show. Um, I saw in some interviews that you talked about how it was very collaborative on the set. It wasn't just doing what was in the script. Uh, tell, tell us about what that working relationship was like. We were very, very, very lucky because we had a, a very small ensemble, and that started with Tony Shalhoub. Tony's professionalism, his talent, you know, and that rubs off on everybody, you know, and you kind of have these two great veteran character actors, you know, Ted Levine and Tony kind of, you know, leading the pack here. The greatest thing was, is we were always able to really communicate well with each other. As a working unit, we were kind of a finely tuned machine. We were able to bounce things off of each other. Everyone was very open. There were no bad, no wrong answers. Something might not make it, but there were no wrong mm -hmm. answers. And we were able to call the writers and say, but what if, what if Monk did this? What if he did this? And then Disher did this. You know, and they would say, yeah, give it a go. Uh, your character, Randy, was someone who wanted to be a rock star, had his own band, and you got to sing in some of those episodes. Uh, was that an especially fun time for you when you got to uh, show off your musical skills? Oddly enough, that was quite terrifying. Because, oh, yeah? Because uh, uh, one of the great things about our show is, especially with me, I didn't want to know what the arcs were and what the storylines were. I was just like, mm. you guys write it, you throw it at me, let me do it. And sure enough, somewhere... They, they were like, you're going to have a rock band and you're going to play guitar and you're going to sing. And I was terrified because at best I am not, gosh, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what, what kind of guitar player I am, what kind of singer I am. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Julia. First, we wanted to know on the series finale of Monk, the character played by Jason Gray Stanford takes on a new job in a new place. First, we wanted to know what is this new job? Helen, what did Julia say? Julia said chief of police. And Jason? Oh, she's absolutely correct. Very good Amazing. for the points. <laughs> All right, next we wanted to know to what Northeast state did that character move? Helen, what did Julia say? Julia said New Jersey. And Jason? Once again, absolutely correct. Summit, New Jersey is the right answer. Summit, New Jersey, which, by the way, is an actual town and is actually where the writer's room was. Yep. In Summit, New Jersey. Huh. And let's remember the good feeling that accompanied those correct answers, as we must <laughs> remind everyone of the <laughs> non-answer that uh, <laughs> Julia gave for this one. What was the character played by Jason Gray Stanford? It was Randy. Jason. <laughs> Lieutenant Randy Disher. Yeah, mm. Lieutenant Randy uh. Disher. All right, you still did quite well on that cluster there. Julia, before we let Jason go, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to our expert while we have him here? It's just such a joy to, to see your face on Zoom. And, and I actually, um, I actually over the pandemic, was diagnosed with lupus and had a really oh, horrible health scare. I really feel for you, and I feel for, I think, a lot of us, um, all the stress that we all went through really kind of activated all these um, scary health problems and we're all kind of coming out of it now. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you're back at the gym and uh, and doing well. So. Well, thank you so much. And and to yourself, I mean, I, I say often, you know, uh, you know, no matter what you're going through, I kind of like to think of it as we all got each other's backs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's a lovely, lovely sentiment. And we thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that, Jason? Oh, goodness gracious, to the Instagram. Now, you can probably even find me uh, at uh, Jason Gray Stanford on Instagram. That's an easy one. And at 
J-A-S, Gray Stanford on Twitter. Uh, the Randy Disher podcast, at the Randy Disher podcast. Uh, so, uh, and that's about it. Uh, those are all of my handles. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jason Gray Stanford, everybody. Thank you, guys. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Julia Longoria has five points, and Richard Kind also has five points, with a round of questions for Richard coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Richard about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Julia and Richard will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast, we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual, real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. What time is it, Sarah? It's summertime! Yay! We love summertime! Some of our favorite things to do happen in the summertime, like going camping and going to the beach and having outdoor parties, and those are made so much better when you've got a solo stove. Some of life's best moments happen around a roaring fire, and a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable. We just had a very memorable moment with our solo stove. Tell the listeners about what we just did. Well, for your birthday, we decided to have some people over, and... And we were outside, and so it was the perfect opportunity to use the solo stove, and it was perfect because it was smokeless, and we could have people gather around it. It was perfect for the evening. And what's great, it's a real conversation piece, because as soon as people see it, it's this gorgeous stainless steel bonfire. That's the model that we got. It's this fire pit that's built for the backyard, and in our case, our driveway. Uh, And it was so great. People gather around the solo stove bonfire. They tell stories. We have a few drinks. We have a great time. It just really took the party to a whole other level. It kind of felt like we were camping a little. It It really did, yeah. And I can't actually wait to take it with us next time we do go camping because it's portable, which is great. And it's so easy to get your fire started. It's so easy to clean it up. And all it uses is firewood. Yeah, it was perfect. So easy. Yeah, no chemicals, no dealing with all sorts of weird fire starters. You just light this thing up with kindling and uh, you get going. And it lasts for hours just on a couple of logs. So upgrade your backyard with a solo stove fire pit and create story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. You know, with so little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. And they're so confident you'll love it, they offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. But there's more, right, Sarah? That's right. Right now, you can get big discounts on all fire pits during Solo Stove's 4th of July sale. And use promo code GOFACT at solostove.com for an extra $10 off. That's solostove.com, promo code GOFACT, for $10 off on top of their incredible 4th of July sale discounts. But hurry, the 4th of July sale ends July 10th. Oh my gosh, that's so soon. (laughs) Just a few days. Thank you, Solo Stove. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Julia Longoria and Richard Kind. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Richard, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the Dick Van Dyke Show, Michael Connolly books, and Second City. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us what the Dick Van Dyke Show means to you. I remember the first show I ever saw on my color TV was the Dick Van Dyke Show, Mm. which was black and white. (laughs) the episode uh, i remember big max calvada and stuff like that then as i was a singing waiter uh during the summertime and there was nothing to do that it was in the hamptons and you only worked at night during the day i used to watch the dick van dyke show i love that you just glossed over the fact that you were a singing waiter in the hamptons Very cool. All right, Richard, you also said you know a lot about Michael Connolly books. Michael Connolly writes faster than I can read. (laughs) I can't understand how he does it, 
through a friend, he recommended the very first Michael Connolly book, which was a Harry Bosch book. And then one time I was at uh, a Broadway theater and, and I had mentioned on something like maybe that I had loved Michael Connolly books. And a guy comes up to me and he's very, very shy. And he goes, uh, Richard, and I go, I'm Michael Connolly. <gasps> but you know, I understand that you like my books. Wow. And then all of a sudden I go, Oh my God! I like, bunch <laughs> of tension. I go, I, I couldn't believe it. And he became very gracious. And while we were doing the reboot of Mad About You, Bosch was shooting at the studio next door. I have great affection for the man and certainly for his books. Wow. wow. All right. And then finally, Richard, you said you know a lot about Second City. I was a member of the Second City troupe and have friends in it. I've read the books about it. I've been in the books about it. So I. <laughs> I know about Second City. All right. Well, to summarize, you said you know a lot about The Dick Van Dyke Show, Michael Connolly Books, and Second City. Today, we're going to quiz you about The Dick Van Dyke Show. All right. Well, first of all, I'm curious, did it influence you as an actor? Yes, I believe it did. Okay. In what way? Because, first of all, my affection for Dick Van Dyke Mm -hmm. was tremendous. When I was a kid, I loved Robert Preston, Zero Mostel, and Dick Van Dyke. Mm -hmm. Those were the people who I really wanted to be. Com- um, comedy and song and dance men. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of an expert in your topic. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about it, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints among these five questions. Now, Julia, do listen closely because you can steal if Richard gets any of them wrong. Julia, by the way, how much do you know about the Dick Van Dyke show? I actually watched it quite a bit on Nick at Night. So. Okay. Oh, we'll see. No. Yeah. Well, Julia, how much more can I love you? <laughs> well, Richard, Richard proved you don't actually need to have seen a show in order to steal an answer. So uh, let's see if he gives you that opportunity. Here's question number one. Richard, in the 1970s, one of the leads from the Dick Van Dyke show got her own show in which she played a single woman. Initially, she was supposed to be a divorcee, but the producers decided audiences would not like the idea that she might have divorced Dick Van Dyke, who was this legendary TV star. Tony Shalhoub. No, it was Mary Tyler Moore. Helen? That is correct. That is, of course, correct for the point. Fun fact, producers might have been onto something. On a 1969 TV special, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke emphasized that they only played Rob and Laura Petrie and were not married in real life. That special was called Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman. Question number two. The Petrie's home was noted for its mid-century design and particularly noted for one piece of furniture featured in the opening credits. What type of furniture, which is named after a famous Turkish empire, is it? It is an ottoman. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. By the way, just one thing is that I'm a character now on the Goldbergs. Mm Mm-hmm. And the uh, lead character, Jeff Garland, Mm -hmm. works at a furniture uh, shop. Either his place was named... Or I own a competing furniture store called the Ottoman Empire. Ah, very good. (laughs) All right, Richard, here's question number three. Rob had a sleepwalking, banjo-playing brother. What was his name and what actual brother played him? His name was Stacy, Mm -hmm. and it was Jerry Van Dyke. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, during the run of the Dick Van Dyke show, Jerry Van Dyke starred on the show My Mother the Car, in which his mother was a car. Uh, You're three for three, Richard. Here's question number four. The Dick Van Dyke Show won 15 Emmy Awards, and it had many guest stars who would go on to win many more later in their careers. But which of the following future Emmy-winning performers did not guest star on The Dick Van Dyke Show? Was it Jack Albertson, Richard Dawson, Barbara Bain, Don Rickles, or Rob Reiner? Give me the the kids again, and I will tell you Yes or no? Okay. Jack Albertson? Did guest on it. Richard Dawson? Did guest on it. Barbara Bain? I don't think so. Don Rickles? Did guest on it. Rob Reiner? I don't believe he guessed it. I'll take a clue, please. Oh, all right. Helen, how about that first hint? Barbara Bain did guest star on the show. I, You know what? I should not have taken the hint. It's Rob Reiner. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, despite his father Carl creating the show, Rob Reiner never appeared. He did, however, have the lead character named after him. Richard, you were 4 for 4. You have a chance to go 5 for 5 if you can get this one right. I have a feeling you might know this. In one episode, the writing team has to come up with an act for a gangster's no-talent nephew. The gangster shares a name with a fictional soft drink that is advertised on a billboard in the episode where Rob gets a motorcycle. What is this gangster's name? Big Max Calvala. Helen? 
That is correct. That is correct. We thought that was going to be the toughest one. You happened to mention that in just listing episodes that you enjoyed. And do you know what Calvada, why his name was Calvada? I think I do, but uh, why don't you tell us? Cal was for Carl. Calva was Van the Bat of Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. DA is for Danny Thomas. That's right. Uh, Big Max Calvada was actually played by one of the show's producers, Sheldon I Leonard. That's right. Uh, other producers who played parts on the show include Danny Thomas, who played an alien in a dream sequence, and of course, Carl Reiner as Alan Brady. The name of their production company, Calvada, was formed by combining letters in their names, as Richard mentioned. I don't think you mentioned Sheldon Leonard. That was the L in Calvada. Richard, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Richard, one of the main characters on the show was the Petri's son, Richie, who often inspired his parents' creativity. For up to three points, what creative middle name did his parents give Richie? What inanimate object did Richie inspire his father to write a sketch about, only to find out later that the idea came from the Uncle Spunky program? And who played Richie Petri? Larry Matthews played him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, the answer to the first thing, what, what was the first question? What, what was his middle name? Rosebud. Okay. And the name of the character from Uncle Spunky. Just to be clear, we're asking what inanimate object did Richie inspire his father to write a sketch about, only to find out that the idea had come from the Uncle Spunky program. So it wasn't a rocket ship, was it a teacup? It might have been a teacup. I'm, I'm going to guess a teacup because it's too much time. Okay. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert in hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor whose decades-long career on and off screen included playing Richie Petri on The Dick Van Dyke Show. It's Larry Matthews. Larry Matthews. Chase Louise. (laughs) Hello, Larry Matthews. Jeez Louise. Oh, my God. Richard, I'm impressed. You, uh, you, you got it out. pretty darn near right on spot. You, you don't exist. <laughs> well, I, I've heard that from a lot of people, but that's another story. Oh, my uh, gosh. Spent, you know, obviously the Dick Van Dyke show and then <clears throat> did a lot of theater after that and, uh, and through college and high school. And then basically spent the last 40 plus years doing production and post-production in the business uh, in various capacities, mostly sales. In, in Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Mostly post-production facilities. You know, I was head of sales. I was uh, executive VP of a bunch of different companies doing that. And I've, a couple of years ago, I, during the pandemic, which you guys were all talking about earlier and, and stressing everything, I just had to kind of step away from everything because mm-hmm. it was just a little too much. And I was like, you know what? It's time to step away and retire. Wow. But I might not be that retired soon. So we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, great. Well, Larry, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this off-screen work. You're being very modest. You had a very successful company that uh, that you helped make. Um, and you did a lot of sales, as you mentioned. I'm curious, did your experience as an actor help you uh, become a good salesperson? Oh, oh, absolutely. It did help me because I'm a social person. I love being out there, like Richard, I'm sure, and being among people and doing things, and it just made it that much easier for me. Well, it's interesting. We've, we've talked to a lot of people who were child actors on the show, and they were maybe young, but were playing someone even much younger. But you, you actually were as young as you appeared on that show uh, as your character, right? First episode aired, aired in 61, so I was almost six then, and it was such an easy thing for me to do because the beauty of the casting crew, the Dick Van Dyke show is... Carl was so brilliant and Sheldon and they put all these people together and they just let them be themselves. And it created this wonderful, wonderful show Mm. of truth. Mm. And so for me, it was just like, I was just like having a great time being Richie because they just let me be myself. And, you know, just (laughs) we truly were like a family. I mean, we spent time with each other off, off a camera. We went to, to, I would go to Jerry Paris's house. I'd, spend time with the kids. I, I knew Dick and Dick's kids well, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time of life. Mm. And uh, what do you remember about the audition? Because uh, it wasn't a traditional kind of scene reading that you were doing as a five and a half year old. No, first pilot was me, I was sick. And so I went in and I, Carl said, lay down on a couch and pretend you're sick for me. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And he goes, okay, tell me your, your stomach goes out. Oh, my tummy hurts. <laughs> and he goes, and here's your favorite thing in the world. It's what, it's, what do you really love in the world? I, you know, cupcakes. He goes, okay, so I'm going to offer you this cupcake, but you tell me you're too sick that you don't want this cupcake. And that was how the interview went. And it was so funny <laughs> because it came down to two people. It was a kid who'd done some stuff. And Carl was leaning toward me because he wanted somebody that had really never done anything. 
but they were still debating. And, and Jay Sandwich was the assistant director on the Danny Thomas show on Make Room for Daddy at the time. And he came in to ask Danny a question about the show they were shooting that week. And before he left, Danny said, wait, 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 come back, Jay. Which of these two kids should be the, the kid on our pilot for the Dick Van Dyke show? And Jay said, that one, he pointed at my picture. <gasps> Randomly, just on your picture? And Carl went, yep, I was leaning that way. But wow. Oh, that's a great story. Yep. Yeah. And that's why headshots matter, kids, as you're getting <laughs> into show business. <laughs> Larry, when you're a kid at that age, you know, there's a lot of downtime when you're on a set shooting a show. Did they let you explore? Did they, you know, what, what, what was it like with all that downtime on the set for a kid? Yeah, I would run around the studio. I got to know. Jim Neighbors very well because they were shooting Gomer Pyle next to us. <laughs> I got to know Joey Bishop. Joey Bishop taught me how to throw a football. Um, they were filming I Spy. I would, you know, with uh, Culp and Cosby, I got to get to know. And, you know, just this whole Andy Griffith and Ronnie and I, Ron Howard and I were basically the same age and played Little League together in Burbank. So, <laughs> you know, it was like crazy. And then I also got to know like the other family's kids. So, and Barry and I actually, we laughed about this later. We used to steal cigarettes from the set because Kemp was one of our sponsors. And we'd go out back and smoke cigarettes without any adults knowing about it. When we were wow. Revel, a little revel. <laughs> Richard had mentioned about how uh, the Dick Van Dyke show, he had encountered it at different parts in his life. Did you watch the show later on in your life as well? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's it's interesting because as a child, you know, you live through it and you learn. So um, as a kid, I would watch it and it was funny to me and it was great. But I never really, as the years went on and I got older and really started understanding the situations, the comedy, the characters, their interactions, the whole base of the show, I literally would sit there and I still do. They have it on some of these, you know, TVs, um, you know, nostalgic television networks that they run it on us. And mm -hmm. I still sit there. I watched an episode last, which is one of my favorites, which is um, where Mary would open Dick's mail and, uh, and, and she said, he set her up with a boat and an inflating boat. And I just laughed. I just couldn't stop laughing. And this is what, 60 something years ago. going to say, so you said you were from a large family. Um, yes. I, I, I this could sound terrible because you were one, but I don't always approve of child of parents putting their children into showbiz. And it's not because they're going to grow up and be, be treated. It's because you're not treated like a child. You're treated as something special. Like they'll hold the door open for you. Whereas a child should be taught to hold open a door for an adult. You know? So, but you had a family that could keep you as a child, that could keep you down to earth. And that yeah. is very important. And I think we're blessed to have that. Um, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Richard. And I'm 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 Italian, you know, Italian Catholic, seven kids, uh, strict Sicilian father. Um, you know, in fact, often I used to sit there and go, they would almost treat me not worse, but be harder on me because they didn't want the other kids to think that they were being right. favored me. Right. Right. I, I can't thank my parents enough for the way they treated that. And it was a great story because I never really wanted to be. It was just, and I it was when I was a kid. I would sit out in the front and a mailman would come and I would be like imitating the chipmunks or I'd be imitating, you know, something I would see on TV. And he finally turned to, to my mom and said, you know, the kid's got pretty good talent. Would, would you like me to introduce you to a, an acting coach, an actor that, you know, deals with children and see if he's interested in that? And my mom went, well, I don't know. And they, I remember one night they came in and I said, hey, look, Gil, the mailman, has this friend who's coaches acting and do you have any interest in this? Would you maybe like to do this? Because... Seems like you'd like to go out and, you know, Im imitate and just create things. And I said, well, sure. I mean, yeah, okay, why not? Mailman deserves a cut of, like, all <laughs> the money you've ever made. He, he was great. Yeah. And, 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 and all very symbiotic. And, and and I agree with you, Richard. Um, people have asked me, you know, would you – I've been asked, you, would you recommend my kid get into showbiz? I said no. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here, Larry, as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Richard. First, we wanted to know, what creative middle name did Richie's parents give him? Helen, what did Richard say? Richard said Rosebud. And Larry? That is 100% correct. And can I tag a little note onto that, which Richard might be interested in? Sure. The word Rosebud was the initial of seven different names that they all wanted to name. And it was Rosebud, and it was Robert Oscar Samuel, Edward, 
Benjamin, Ulysses, David. <laughs> so cool. All right, another point for Richard. Uh, next one, to know what inanimate object did Richie inspire his father to write a sketch about, only to find out later that the idea came from the Uncle Spunky program? Helen, what did Richard Kind say? Richard said teacup. And Larry? No, unfortunately, it wasn't a teacup, Richard. No, what is it? It was a bowling pin. Of course. It was the bowling pin. Of course pin. it was. And then he put the whole thing together. Yes. uh... I'm sorry. No point there. And then finally, we wanted to know who did play Richie Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke show. Helen, what did Richard say? Richard said Larry Matthews. And who was it, Larry Matthews? I think it was a guy named Larry Matthews. I'm trying to remember that. But yeah. It was was you. There's another point for Richard. Very good. Richard, before we let Larry go, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him while we have him here? I can only say that I wanted to be you. And years later, it is as thrilling to meet you as I could ever possibly tell you. I am delighted to talk to you, to meet you. You are history. You you guys were part of who I am. And this is thrilling to me. Well, it's it makes my heart feel very good. Thank you very much. Yay! We love good hearts. Larry, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? Right now, there's no website, so you can just look up my name online, and you can look up a website for a company called Juice, J-U-I-C-E, Worldwide. It's a division of Amdocs, which is a media company. That is the post-production facility that I started in 2018 within that company, and that's what I stepped away from. But um, we've been talking. They might want me to come back on a on a part-time basis, and I'm considering that. So. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Larry Matthews, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Appreciate your Appreciate time. It. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Julia Longoria has five points, and Richard Kind has a whopping 12 points. Wow. Julia ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw with Richard here, but let's see what happens in our final round. Now it is time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Julia and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Julia, the official currency of the United States is the U.S. dollar. True. Correct. Richard, the official currency of Britain is the U.S. dollar. Uh, that, that is false. Correct. That's right. It's the British pound. Julia, the official currency of the British Virgin Islands is the U.S. dollar. That is false. Incorrect. No, it really is. Richard, the official currency of Zimbabwe is the U.S. dollar. False. Incorrect. Nope, it really is. Julia, the official currency of Ecuador is the U.S. dollar. False. Incorrect. No, it really is. Richard, the official currency of Costa Rica is the U.S. dollar. And that is true. Incorrect. No, that would be silly. Uh, (laughs) Costa Rica uses the cologne. Julia, there's a shark depicted on Costa Rican currency. True. Correct. Yep, on the 2000 Colonus bill. Richard, there was a shark depicted on Cook Island's currency. False. Incorrect. No, there really is. Julia, that shark is depicted with a woman riding on top of it. False. Incorrect. No, wow. she really is. Richard, that woman was topless. <laughs> that is false. Incorrect. No, it really is. Julia, that currency is no longer in circulation. False. Incorrect. And finally, Richard, that currency is now the U.S. dollar. That is false. Correct. Yes, it's now the New Zealand dollar. All right, we're not going to count those last two. I want to thank Julia Longoria and Richard Kind as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner on today's show? I am. At the end of the game, Julia Longoria has seven points and Richard Kind has 13 points. Congratulations, Richard Kind. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I am... Going to the refrigerator and get some seltzer. <laughs> oh, what a nice, refreshing <laughs> way to uh, use your championship. Couldn't have done that if you hadn't won. That just leaves us the opportunity to thank everyone and give everyone a chance to promote anything they might like. Julia Longoria, where can people find you and what you're up to? You can find me on Twitter at Hoolihoo, H-O-O-L-I-W-H-O. You can check out uh, many episodes of The Experiment from The Atlantic and WMYC Studios, wherever you get podcasts. That's The Experiment Podcast. And you can check out the new season of More Perfect that will launch in 2023. And I'll just say, Richard, it was an honor to uh, to be your opponent. <laughs> uh, Richard, uh, where can people find you and what you're up to? Let me quickly say, Julia, 
It was my honor. Oh, totally. you guys. Oh, thanks. My honor. <laughs> Stop <laughs> fighting. It was both of your honors. <laughs> it was my honor. I love this. So I much honor this. flying um, around. Uh, things that I'm working on, I did a movie with Pierce Brosnan and Adam uh, Levine uh, that's going to be on Netflix with Ellen Barkin. That's funny. I did a movie that where I play a scientist uh, chased by the U.S. military <laughs> of Monsters of California. Lots and lots of stuff. Lots of I don't stuff. Know. I can't keep up with it. I'm a dancing monkey on a string. They tell me <laughs> when I do it. The dancing monkey on the string. We're so happy the string swung our way. It was wonderful to have Richard Kind. <laughs> my pleasure to, to, to meet both of you guys. Thank you. It really was my pleasure. It really was mine, too. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is Helen Hong. Helen, what have you going on? Where can people find you? I'm going to be part of the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up comedy tour coming to a city near you, possibly. Uh, Details are on Wait, Wait. Don't tell me.com or npr.com slash wait, wait, I believe. Uh, so that's going to be, yeah, uh, through the end of 2022. And then you can follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong, because we all know at Helen Hong is not funny. She is definitely not funny. She is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Julia Longoria, Richard Kind, Jason Gray Stanford, Larry Matthews, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. We're really doing it. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Thomas B.C. did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, funny, inviting, informative, playful, kind. Thank you, J. Keith, Helen, and the entire crew. Folded hands emoji. Well, thank you, Thomas B.C. High five emoji. Helen? (laughs) Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Today's show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Leora Saul, Clint Tauscher, and Michelle Altenhofen. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Velada. Special thanks to Jim Colucci, Craig Shemin, Marsha Posner-Williams, Dahlia Dagger, Christopher Chafin, and Matt Luber, Lena Rocklin, Jack Newman, and Ethan Harari at Luber Rocklin Entertainment. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go watch the Dick Van Dyke show. And Monk. And let's just watch TV. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.